This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Hey, anybody know a good tailor? You need some clothes off No, no, I'm just looking for a man to draw on me with chalk. <laughs> Condoms? <laughs> you don't know how long we're going to be in here. We may have to repopulate the earth. <laughs> and condoms are the way to do that. I'm not great at the advice. Can I interest you in a sarcastic comment? <laughs> I'd never drank before, and I just sort of drank this entire bottle of what was called Anwar's Baby Duck. That was the name of the wine. And I lay in the grass and just was in was in heaven and I thought to myself this must be the way that normal people feel all the time and I thought that at 14 but you know by the time I was 18 I was drinking I was drinking every day that's Matthew Perry and he was out doing interviews and they couldn't have been easy interviews to do but in a way he felt like that was his way to make a difference from that point on. That was him with Diane Sawyer from ABC. His book uh, was quite dramatic and a bestseller at that called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing, a memoir. And it came out around a year and change ago. I feel like spring of 2022, so a year and a few months. And by the way, we tried desperately to get him on the show. I know there was some back and forth, and we just couldn't couldn't land him. And... Um, That would have been our last chance uh, to talk to Matthew Perry. I knew friends. I have a really good friend in Los Angeles who went to AA meetings with him. And I asked him about coming on the show to talk about. And he didn't want to because he felt like he'd be sort of telling secrets or telling tales outside of school about Matthew. Um, But this this is a beyond tragedy. And everything you hear, because so many people have those sort of checkered scenarios and Johnny Depp would be a great example of that. Even a Robert Downey Jr. Why is Robert Downey Jr. alive and thriving and Matthew Perry is not this morning? I'm not trading one for the other, but it is one of those scenarios where you do ask why. Rock stars are like that. How did this person exist and live and thrive and know when to stop and get free of the monster that addiction is? And it was just something that followed Matthew Perry, and he mentioned that over and over again, how difficult that was going to be for him. And then it's just the relatability of Friends for so many reasons. Um, Friends was a success. I wouldn't even say where it should not have been, but 236 episodes is just nothing you draw up on the table. And let me give you an example, because Perry, after, after Friends, you just know you're not gonna you're not gonna land it. Like people can have a career in the media, they can be a news anchor, they could even do something like I do, but you don't expect ever to find a perfect working environment and a massive smash success like Friends. And people try. I'm a big Rob Lowe fan. Rob Lowe's been in a lot of shows. He's been in a lot of shows and he's been in a lot of movies. But you're constantly on the hustle looking for the next thing and hoping something clicks. I'll give you an example. Perry's next show after Friends was called Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. A lot of hype around it on NBC. It lasted 22 episodes. He was in a show called Mr. Sunshine. It lasted 13 episodes. He did a new show called Go On, which was sort of similar to what his existence was, and it didn't last past one season, 22 episodes. 
So it's one of those scenarios where you, you're never going to find that that magic again. It's it's friends for its moment in time and what it was to the culture. I said this to somebody yesterday. I, I wrote down four things: relatable characters, universal themes. What's it like being friends? What's it like falling in love with a friend? Relationships, the challenges of adulthood. I know their apartments were all busy, bigger than they should have been for what they were making. I got it. Um, but the humor as well. It really helped define the language of the mid-90s. Clever jokes, physical comedy, witty dialogue. And you don't see too many shows where all six characters seem to matter. Take one or two away, it ain't the same show. And there's so many shows that aren't necessarily like that. Uh, ben Mulroney, uh, Ben Mulroney, our friend, joining us now on Toronto today. I, I, I say that. Morning, Gregory. Yeah, morning. This is one of those scenarios where the level of success that he had with that show, like you're in it at the time and you're thriving and you're making a hundred grand an episode, but in the back of your head, they all know we're at a special moment here in 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 time. This isn't going to be a forty year run like a band would have or an actor would have to another roles. Well, well, any any show that can be on the air for ten years. Uh, is is a massive success. So I, I, listen, I think I think they squeezed everything out of that experience. They did it as a group. Every time they negotiated their contracts, they did them together. So no one person was uh, at the top of the pile. Uh, but but Matthew Perry, uh, the the story of of his addiction and how he can't even he couldn't even watch the show uh, when he mm-hmm. was um, uh, once he was done with it. It's a, it's it's just such a shame. And by the way, you talked about Studio Sixty. My wife and I coincidentally started binging that show on Thursday. So oh we're my on goodness! Like, yeah, and he was tremendous. He, in it. It, yeah, it, it was a it was a show. If, if it had been on HBO, it would have done just fine. I'm so glad you said that. I watched, and I'm, I admit I didn't watch it all the way through, but I, I you could start to feel the support by the network kind of slip a little bit, and it wasn't getting promoted quite as much during big things, but it was meant to be sort of an L.A. version of 30 Rock, and it's fun, and there's so many, the guy from Wings, Stephen Weber's in it, Bradley Whitford's in it, there's so many good actors in it, it had everything. It, 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 I mean, if you go back and watch it, you, you will not believe how many stars are on that show. Aaron Sorkin threw everything in the kitchen sink at this show to make it successful, and it just couldn't find an audience. But I think it was because it was ahead of its time, and it should have been on, on HBO. I'm sure you've interviewed people in your life, Ben, who they'll say exactly what Matthew Perry was said. I, I don't know why I'm still here. I, I lived so yeah. hard. I, I pushed myself so hard. I pushed other people away from me. I couldn't have a friendship. I couldn't have a marriage. Um, and then they get free of that sort of monster uh, and the tentacles of addiction. Um, and, and they're staring, sitting right in front of you thriving. It just, it just felt like Matthew Perry never quite got loose, did he? Well, I remember watching the, um, the Friends reunion that was actually on HBO. (laughs) And, um, and uh, there was a sadness in him uh, because he doesn't remember a big chunk of that, uh, of doing that show. So what everybody was sitting there looking back and remembering, he didn't remember it because he was in, in the throes of his addiction. Why do you think the show connected? I mentioned the sort of relatable topics and it just felt like for the mid nineties, really important. Your time slot matters Thursday at eight, an hour before Seinfeld was a massive, massive boost of confidence for a rookie show, as we'd call it beyond that. Why did it work so well? Uh, I think it was because you're, you, you hit the nail right on the head to have six characters, completely different, all working together. Everybody respected everybody. There was no backstage drama. So they could focus on doing the show for 10 straight years with the same cast. 
Think about that. I mean, a show like that with that many people, the show was the biggest show on television. Any one of them could have left for the easy payday of a big, uh, a big summertime movie, but they stuck around and they stuck around because they liked working with each other and they loved what they were doing. And I think that comes through. If you like what you're doing, you're going to put a better product out there. Ben Mulrooney, our guest on Toronto Today. It's funny. You and I could sit forever probably and talk about shows that we loved and then all of a sudden a character disappeared. Remember when John Travolta leaves Welcome Back, Cotter, and you're like, what? He's gone? (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. There's two new Duke. um, uh, John Schneider and Tom Wopat were on strike for a while for the Dukes of Hazzard on Friday night. And you're seven years old and you're like, who are these clowns in the flannel shirts driving the same car? It doesn't work the same way. That's exactly how I felt as a kid. I was like, this doesn't work for me. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. I think my friend called him the fake Barbarino. They brought in another guy who was sort of doing that. Who? What? Where? And you're like, that's not John Travolta. This isn't going to, this is like a weak, weak imitation. I need my, uh, I need my John Travolta back. We got a minute here. Um, this, uh, this weekend in downtown Toronto, I know we're going to talk about it on Think Tank in an hour with you and Warren Kinsella. Just, I don't know where we're going, um, Ben. More of the same. Uh, cars can't yeah. pass down Young Street. Sidewalks are clogged. We absolutely have a right to uh, to protest. We need to respect those protests. Freedom of assembly, freedom of all that. Where do you think the city is at a month from now? Uh, I think it's going to get worse. Uh, I think as the death toll goes up in Gaza, which is to be expected, uh, I think people will be protesting even more. I think the the anger is going to bubble over, and um, and you know. And they, they started it at an 11. So, so now they're at 12, 13. Um, yeah, I, I think the city's going to have to come up with some rules. They're going to have to say, listen, we have to share. As you just said, we've got to share this city. We've got to walk down the same streets. And you can't just be walking just because you've got a, a, you know, 5,000 people walking. You don't get to go on the gardener. Um, mm. And so, I, yeah, I think that they should have had a plan long before this. Uh, but um, it is what it is. And now I think they've got to sort of retrofit the city for uh, this season of protests that we're going to be experiencing. Do you know people that are avoiding downtown on weekends now or on a Saturday afternoon? Like they know better than they, they just I've don't been, want the I, trouble. I've been avoiding downtown for about five years. <laughs> if I can avoid it. Absolutely. <laughs> are you kidding me? Uh, yeah, but there's things you need to do the sometimes. Wonder, there's the wonder and the beauty of North York. Oh, there's places Ben Mulrooney needs to be downtown. There's a we want to be there when you make it downtown again and uh, and 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 make your grand statements. We need to be there for those things. If it's in the morning, I'll come see you. That's, just, <laughs> that's the only thing I'm doing. It is lovely not having traffic at uh, at six in the morning. I'll give you that. Hey, we'll chat in about an hour with you and Warren. All right, see you soon. There's Ben Mulrooney uh, joining us. Ben, uh, he and Warren Kinsella will be on Think Tank, which we are seven thirty to eight every morning. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. I have a story about him that I'm not proud of. What? Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, I was reminded of this, my friend Chris Murray, who was also in the fifth grade in Canada, reminded me that uh, we actually uh, beat up Justin Trudeau. You beat him up? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Yeah. I, I don't know. The two he, of you beat him up? We both beat him up. And I, I think he was excelling in a sport that we weren't as... So it was pure jealousy. I see. And we, uh, we, we, you know, we beat him up. But I think it was rather instrumental in him become, you know, going to such great heights and becoming the prime minister. You I feel think, that way? Yeah, I think it was, you know, I think he said, I'm going to rise above this. Uh-huh. And I'm going to become prime minister. I'm going to destroy those two boys. Yeah, exactly. Perry and Murray he who rose beat above me. both of us, you know. <laughs>
Perry and Murray over Trudeau in a second-round TKO. Uh, back in the Ottawa school days, that's Matthew Perry on Jimmy Kimmel's show uh, when he was out promoting his book in 2022. Obviously, the tragic news over the weekend uh, that Matthew Perry passed away at age 54. You probably heard about it around dinner time on Saturday night, maybe a little bit later than that. Two things to know this morning that are new. The friends, the five remaining friends, um, have not spoke publicly about this. They have not done anything on social media about this. The plan today is, per the New York Post, is that they will release a joint statement today about the tragic passing of their friend, quote unquote. Um, And there's going to be more work done with a second autopsy on Matthew Perry uh, to find out cause of death. Um, But it's all so terrible. Reacting to it first over the weekend was Steve Pakin this morning, or rather on Sunday morning on 640 Toronto. And there's an interesting connection there. He interviewed his brother. Um, I interviewed my sister once uh, when we had that big ice storm back in 1998, and uh, it didn't go well. Um, So I think she's refused to ever go on with me again. But a much better relationship on air exists with Steve Pakin and Jeff Pakin. Jeff knew Matthew Perry when they lived in Los Angeles together in the 1990s. Here's some of that conversation from Sunday mornings, Toronto this weekend. I went to the only hockey-based retail store I could find in the San Fernando Valley and told the owner I just moved from uh, the Toronto area and I was a lousy B-level men's beer league hockey player. B-level? B- what are you? That's generous. I would say C-level, maybe D, but keep going. You have to remember where you are. In Los Angeles, I was B-level. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, he handed me a phone number and said to call this guy. I called the guy, and he said, well, come on out for a tryout. I'd never heard of a tryout before in beer league hockey. It was, you know, $300 and a pulse, and you get a jersey. Right. So I went to the tryout, and they had a, a fella in a sweatsuit with cones and whistles. <laughs> We're skating in and out of... Like it was 12 years old again, and I was almost 30. And at the end of the practice, I said to the fellow who I had been connected to, like, what's with the guy in the tracksuit? Who's running a beer league? By the way, I made the team, so we were now fast friends. And he said, uh, oh, he's the, the Hollywood hockey guy. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, he's the guy who makes hockey scenes in movies look legitimate for people who actually know what hockey looks like because half the audience doesn't uh-huh. back in 1991. And so I thought, well, that's weird. Like, how'd you get him? And he kind of looked at me funny. He said, well, our whole team works in the industry. I said, oh, then how am I going on it? He said, well, you just tried out and you made it. So <laughs> I, sh- I showed up to the dressing room for the first game, uh, you know, brought my $300 and uh, looked around the room and, and sort of didn't recognize anybody and then honed in on Kiefer Sutherland. And I thought, well, I know him, and I know he went to St. Andrews College, and uh, so at some point I will say hi to him. And there was a spot empty, and I took my equipment, dropped it, and I turned to the guy beside me, and he said, hey, I'm Jeff, and he said, I'm Matt. And literally that's the, the moment that I met Matthew Perry, and he was not the Matthew Perry we all know now. Um, professionally, he was acting, but was probably best known as the boyfriend of Mallory on Family Ties by by that point. Yeah. See, I always thought Nick. Remember, Nick came on and he was like the Rambo type on Family Ties. I loved Family Ties. I could watch that. We started. We tried watching that with our kids, and they were like, 
Dad, it's a little slow moving. It was on that CTN network um, a few years ago, but we gave it a, we gave it a go. Um, it's almost eight fifty five. We got a few minutes left here, and I'm with uh, Shiba Sadiq here, producer. And we were talking about friends and sort of their influence. Ten years, two hundred thirty six episodes. Incredible. And um, but there's a lot of revisionist history about friends too. So I'll I ask I, I'll ask you this. Um, I'm a uh, I'm a white human being. True or false? Right, no, no, no. I don't, no, see, no. Co- I don't I've, see color. I, I know I've never that. noticed that. I know that. And also, uh, unlike Buffy St. Marie, I <laughs> I don't have a news conference. I'm going to put up on Instagram later some revelations about my heritage that are going to shock people. So follow me there. Okay, so you're a white male. I'm right. With privilege. You know, oh, so, no, so. Whatever. I, it wouldn't have occurred to me well, Friends started in 1994 that like, oh, six white people. Of course you wouldn't notice that. But you know but what? Would you, but did, no, I did not notice that. You know why? Because what was I watching? I was watching Full House, Family Ties, Cosby Show. It was either an all black family or an all white family. It was not until I re- I saw Monica Dale on Much Music, I realized, oh, brown people are, <laughs> it's not illegal for us to be on TV as well. Because I'm, I'm South Asian. Greg yes. is white. I'm South Asian. We've established that. Right. But it was only when Ross Well, I have a copy that. of your birth certificate here. And <laughs> I'm going to publish I'll this on- house conference. Uh, Buffy, St. Marie, and I. Right. Uh, but it was only when Ross got Aisha Tyler as his uh, black girlfriend when that I realized oh they're, they're trying to bring in some more diversity around the show that's the only reason she was cast but wasn't one of the big plot points was and she was great Ross and, and um, uh, so Jennifer Aniston plays uh, Rachel yes and uh, uh, Ross uh, David Schwimmer plays Ross Geller who's Monica Geller's brother who's Courtney Cox and the other friends are Matthew Perry who we've been talking about all morning Matt LeBlanc is Joey yep and Lisa Kudrow is as uh, Buff, uh, Buffy Saint Marie. Phoebe Buffet. She played Buffy Saint Marie, and I, and it was wrong for her to do that. Anyway, yeah, Lisa Kudrow's Phoebe Buffet. <laughs> That's why I'm getting. I saw the buff. I'm getting confused. So the show, though, um, but but the tension is what uh, Ross loves Rachel, but it's an unrequited love. She doesn't know it, and then she realizes it. And when she realizes it, Ross has brought a girlfriend back from of all places. China. Yes. And, and she's so a Chinese joke. girlfriend. She's not taken as a serious character on the show. The girls make I, fun of her. I took her seriously. No, That's well, a, she's on. getting in the way of this, all this unresolved sexual tension. No, I mean, you, I knew right away it wasn't going to last. Probably because he brought her back. He, she, They met te- teaching her. What, what were they doing? They were working together. He was a paleontologist. He was a paleontologist. He was a paleontologist. He was there for some work reason. And that's how they met. But I knew right away that wasn't going to last. What was Chandler's job? He was just at a corporation all the time. But I, I knew um, uh, uh, Phoebe was a, a masseuse. No, Monica was the masseuse. What? No, she's a chef. Oh, yes. Yeah. But, Look oh, no, at no, no, you. No, no, who no, knows no. her friends? You know how about- I'm getting confused? Because no. Monica would, do you remember Phoebe giving Monica a massage and what would happen to Monica whenever she had uh, got massaged? No. Oh, it was a big issue. They couldn't, <laughs> they, they, they weren't comfortable massaging her because it would sound like she was... Um, having a, a moment, yes, a yes. positive uh, yes. physical That's moment. That's why I'm getting confused because you're right. Monica was the chef. Phoebe was the masseuse. Okay. Uh, and uh, Rachel worked retail and fashion design, right? That was one of her jobs. Right. She had several jobs. So do you do you buy the notion that the lack, everyone talks about the lack of diversity now and, and the friend's creator, one of the creators says now, we wouldn't. We didn't intend to have an all-white cast, and I'm like, that's BS. I bet you did in I 1994. Call BS on that, it would not have been as successful. Uh, what's your favorite episode of Girlfriends, or In Living Color, <laughs> or uh, Being Mary Jane Brady? But In Living Color Do you was know a mixed cast. Any of these shows? Yeah, but Jim Carrey was but on they there. They say that the, they say that Friends was sort of 
um, they used it as a bit of an inspiration. In, oh. in Living Color, it was used as a bit of an inspiration for, for Friends. Friends was very much, very intentionally six white people living in New York. I don't think it would have done as well at all if, or been as successful if it was a diverse cast. Just it was a sign of the times back then. What What's more likely? Would one of the six have to be gay or would one of the six have to be a different skin now? color? Yeah. Or both. Oh, now now all six would be completely diverse. <laughs> somebody would be gay. Somebody would be Jewish. Somebody would be Muslim. Somebody would be, I'd be all over the place. Well, they should think, they've re-brought Frasier back. So maybe they can consider I don't consider think that's going to work very well. I don't think so? No. I think the apartments are too big also. I think we've done, that's been, that's the one thing everybody agrees on. There's no way they could afford those apartments. In downtown Manhattan. Forget about it. As they, as Joey Trebiani might say. No, that's a how you doing. Whatever. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Uh, Eric Cam is economics professor at Toronto Metropolitan University. And we visited with him every Monday at 630. Um, let's talk about these protests in the downtown core, amongst other things. The economic impact. I, I'm sure there's not a, a number for the city because who's to say who's coming downtown and who isn't. But there's no car traffic up and down Young Street, up and down University at key times when, uh, admittedly, Eric, usually the roads are pretty clogged. But what do you see in the city and what do you hear about the potential? I can, there must be business owners that, uh, that are really frustrated by a lot of this. Hi. And yeah, I mean, the downtown core is being absolutely choked off by these demonstrations, which means people are finding other places, if at all, to spend their dollars that they would have on restaurants, bars, theaters, and hotels. And so here's the real problem in terms of the economy. Our economy thrives on something, Greg, that we call the multiplier effect, which simply put means that $1 is actually spent many times as it makes its way through the economy. So now that single dollar isn't happening. So the multiplier effect isn't happening. And what makes me sad is that when you think that this particular industry, restaurants, bars, theaters, hotels, those were the industries decimated by COVID. This is really bad news for owners who are still in a real way digging out from the pandemic. So I'm number one, very worried about it. Number two, asking myself, does this city have a mayor? Well, there's that also. I, I mean, the tourism factor is a, a notable one in terms of people that might fly here or take via rail here and spend the weekend here. I always note, Eric, that when you go to Union Station, and you're just getting a, a train somewhere, you see people just taking pictures on Front Street or taking photos of the Royal York, and you think, well, they probably don't live in Mississauga or Richmond Hill. They're here from somewhere else, and maybe maybe just for the next several weeks, they're either postponing their trip or outright canceling it, not because of some, you know, not because of politics or fear, but just they don't want to get snaggled up, and in, in they want to be able to go from point A to B. Well, of course they do. And, you know, we've talked a lot about safety in this city. And one thing that's been proven over and over again is that a busy, bustling city of consumers is a safe city. And so I think this really dovetails into our previous conversations about why is Toronto not as safe? Well, because of the COVID situation, because of what you're seeing now with these demonstrations, that hustle and bustle is exceptionally healthy for a city, Greg. But right now it's just not there. How long do you see the protests happening for? Have you had to gauge it? I think a while. I don't think this is going anywhere anytime soon. I'm far from an expert on Middle East politics, but I, you know, I, of course I have a horse in the race being Jewish. Um, and I don't see this ending anytime soon. So I don't see the demonstrations going away anytime soon. And so I'm exceptionally concerned, of course, safety first, but I'm also concerned 
about these people that have invested in these businesses. And truly, what I said is is, is accurate. They're just starting to dig out now from the mm-hmm. pandemic and being able to rehire the numbers that they used to have in terms of the labor market and see numbers returning to where they were. And I don't know how many of these businesses can handle another COVID type um, decrease in their sales. And so I very much worry about a city that's already only seeing expansion in marijuana shops, how much more that we can, um, how much more we can take in terms of lost business. Um, I don't know what you can say about it, but obviously you're at Toronto Metropolitan University and um, there's a lot of controversy surrounding the law school. And we talked about it last week. Um, The school itself, your university, TMU, was going to launch a review in the wake of um, what will deem a pro-Palestinian, but what many would consider, I did anyway, with my editorial uh, uh, means, um, as an anti-Israel letter. And it wasn't just about anti-Israel foreign policy, which is certainly fair game. It was, in essence, Israel's not a country and they don't deserve to exist. So when law students sign that, um, TMU is is doing something to look into whether or not those are law students that they want to elevate and promote. That's the sounds of the review anyway to me. Well, exactly. And before I receive a lot of hate mail saying that I hate my own university, just for the record, in 2001, that university took a chance on a kid with a York PhD. And I was able to, I was given the luxury, Greg, of doing the only job I ever wanted in the city in which I grew up. I mean, I won the damn lottery. So trust me, I love the place more than anybody will ever understand. But right now, leadership then, when I got to the school, everybody used to say EDI was in our DNA and everybody was welcome. But leadership now, you don't get a word. I haven't heard a word yet straight from the president's office or the dean of the law school or the vice president of EDI. And so that just confirms to me that now we have two things to worry about on our campus, two levels of safety. We have the anti-Semitism safety issue, and then we have the well-noted violence and vagrancy around the campus that you and I talked about. So quickly, you know, the signatories on that letter basically committed professional suicide. And is this drastic? Well, not really. A university is a place of learning. And I think you got to be careful before you sign something. So maybe this group of people are just not morally um, cut out to be lawyers and uphold the law in our province, Greg. It's a very sticky situation. Um, I frankly don't know where it goes from here because the only people talking are the student groups. And God help us if the student groups reflect the leadership of the university. But it felt like when we were students, um, you know, we could be reasonable with each other and we could be really adamant about what we believed. And then say, okay, you think that um, I still respect that you have this opinion and you respect that I have mine. Let's go for a drink after that evening class. Is that element on campus um, a thing of the past to you? Um, It is. If it's not a thing of the past, Greg, it's on hold. For some reason, as, as I've said before, this equity, diversity and inclusion mission has been, in a sense, hijacked by people who want to push every argument and every position to the margin. So nobody wants to meet in the middle anymore. Everybody wants to be on the far, far right or the far, far left. And what does that do? It causes conflict. 
Yeah, you you like me. When I was in university, I used to go to those communism versus capitalism lectures, and then everybody would go to the bar and laugh about it and talk about it. That has been replaced today by nth degree marginalized thinking. It is us versus them, and what a horrible way to go to school. And you'd have to pay for the communist beers. And I just didn't think I just didn't think that was right at a certain point in time. Why don't they bring their own money? But whatever. You know what they say, Greg? I, the problem with communism is you run out of other people's money. <laughs> Um, I've got to get you uh, your thoughts on on the liberals move on carbon pricing. Like, it's very strange to even say this was absolutely firm. This was absolutely adamant. Justin Trudeau and the federal liberals were not going to move on carbon pricing because it was too important to the environment. And I will defend the importance to do some things economically for the environment. What did you think about the liberals making some changes to their climate policy? They're going to double the rebate for rural households. It sounds like um, they're catering towards Atlantic Canada votes. Um, What are you seeing in this mix? I'm seeing... Another example of a lack of leadership. This is becoming the thesis of this country right now. The bottom line is that the carbon tax needs to be lifted or at least suspended, Greg. Wrong tax, wrong time. We, how many times are we going to talk about this precarious economy with far too many Canadians? One paycheck away from insolvency. One survey from NMP just showed that families in Canada have approximately $200 in savings. Now, I want a green economy just like you do because we're both parents and one day maybe even grandparents. But this is the time to work on helping people and their disposable income. So to me, it comes down to leadership. The prime minister cannot be worried about popularity contests anymore. He's won three damn elections. It's time to do the right thing and secure luxuries, luxuries like food and clothes and rent Mm. for hardworking Canadians, Greg. Eric Cam, Toronto Metropolitan University. Enjoy our visits. Thanks for the time this morning. Stay healthy, Greg. You can hear uh, Eric sometimes on the Roy Green Show, which airs 2 to 5 uh, across the Chorus Radio Network, including right here on 640 Toronto. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Uh, we haven't had a visit with our next guest for some time, but he is counselor for Ward 23 Scarborough North. He's also the chair of the TTC and the TTC going into an interesting environment this fall and winter. He is city councilor Jamal Myers. It's great to have you back on Toronto Today. Thanks for making the time for us. Thanks for having me, Greg. Always a pleasure. I know you're looking for uh, efficiency. You're looking for people to return to the TTC. This is your first run going into a fall winter as chair. Um, What are your expectations? And and when you get service reports back about volume, efficiency, what do you see that you like? What do you see that you'd like to be improved? Well, what I see that I like is that people are returning back to the system, uh, particularly the bus system, and especially on weekends. So the numbers are up. Uh, what we definitely have to get improved is getting that sense of safety back to the TTC. You know, it was said uh, people will feel safe when they feel, when they feel safe, good about their kids using the, the TTC. That's when we'll know it's safe. And we're not there yet, but we're working on it. Um, and we're coming up with a plan to make sure that, you know, if the, if the TTC again becomes sort of a, a refuge for people who are unhoused, that we actually have a comprehensive plan to deal with it. Yeah. Tell us what's changed. What changes this December, January, February from last December, January, February? I know there's a new plan for the city um, and winter services plan for people experiencing homelessness, but I, I know the city just wants to be more on top of situations. What's changed in the last 12 months? 
Well, we have we don't have an official plan yet, but what we do know is that we aren't going to allow uh, what we saw in previous winters, where there was a lot of crowding in certain station areas, and that led to unfortunately a lot of open uh, drug use. Uh, people felt unsafe. We're not going to allow that again. Uh, we're going to actually have a plan to sort of help have people congregate to certain locations and then transport them to. Uh, warming and shelter systems, and we're going to coordinate that with the city's shelter system. So we're still finalizing the details, but we're moving in that direction. I've asked a few people this on the show in the last couple of days. We've had numerous demonstrations in the city um, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. They're described by many as pro-Palestinian. Um, I've got no problem with the description, but I'm going to ask you where you are if you think, if you're worried about people avoiding the city and thus avoiding transit, not for any political reason, but just it snarls traffic. It could snarl somebody getting from point A to B. Anecdotally, Jamal, are you hearing this? Uh, I'm not hearing it anecdotally. I've experienced it. I was on a streetcar that was backed up. Um, I was stuck for about 20 minutes because there was a pro-Palestinian rally. Um, people have the right to demonstrate and protest. That's part of what makes this country great. Um, so I'm not hearing it, but I think you know that sort of just adds to the general concerns about traffic and uh, efficiency in the, in the city of like, moving people quickly. Annoying to be held up? How long were you held up? I mean, I, I eventually got out and just walked. So, <laughs> so I was oh, okay. Twenty minutes. <laughs> I think, I, yeah, I there were people uh, stuck on the gardener a week ago Saturday, and I saw I saw police officers on bicycles and people walking uh, down, basically down an exit ramp. Um, they're unusual times. We'll put it that way at the minimum. Unusual times, um, and you know, it's unfortunate seeing just how much heightened tension there is out there. Uh, I think we've all been, you know, really saddened by the anti-Semitism that we've seen that's been displayed, um, you know, in a lot of these rallies. Not, you know, not by the, the vast majority of these people are you know, peaceful protesters, um, but sometimes things have just gone out of control. Uh, and the same thing with the Islamophobia that we've seen a lot of that come out. It's It's just very sad. And, you know, we all have to really just you know, try to keep the temperature down. I know it's it's sad, it's tense, and and we need to probably probably do a better job of uh, of policing each other. That's what I'd say about it. I got I, I need to ask you about a meeting on Friday, and I don't know what you can say and what you can't say, but the TTC board had a meeting on Friday. Was there a purpose to the meeting? So there was a purpose to the meeting. We were receiving um, legal advice from external counsel. What I can say categorically, and I clear this with our lawyers, is that at no time was there any discussion about firing the CEO. And that's so Rick, any, Rick Leary for people listening. Rick Leary. Um, so any discuss, anyone discussing that, that was categorically false. I think that rumor was very unfair to the CEO. It was also very unfair to the mayor because she had nothing to do with calling the special meeting. I called the special meeting. And it was destabilizing for the employees and the organization. So, you know... Looking back on things, you know, communication plan after the meeting could have been better, and I'll wear that mistake. But I uh, just wanted to put that on the record. That at no time was that discussed. Was there a discussion about putting Leary on administrative leave? So can't I can't discuss what we actually okay. discussed, but I can say what we didn't discuss, and then that we, it was we never discussed firing the CEO. What are the next steps um, in moving forward in the relationship with TTC CEO Rick Leary? If, if Friday's meeting had a certain result, what comes next, Jamal? 
business as usual. Um, we ex- our next meeting will be in November, um, and then we're heading into the budget season. So getting TTC ready for that and uh, making sure that we're ready for winter. So, I mean, people who take the TTC who might say, what's all this inside baseball stuff? What's all this politics stuff? They shouldn't be worried about service. They shouldn't be worried. All of a sudden, there's going to be a new CEO implanted. It's going to affect service. It's going to change things. I guess I'd call them regular customers don't need to worry that some of the things happening behind the scenes, if you will, affect what what their daily commutes are like. No, absolutely not. You know, the TTC is one of those remarkable organizations that doesn't miss a beat. Uh, They pivoted quite quickly, um, you know, during COVID. I don't think a special board meeting is going to in any way affect service uh, or people's expectations with the TTC. So one more on the meeting. Um, this did, did this schedule. This is gets scheduled the night before the day before. The only reason I ask is that uh, some of the long term board members were either out of town or unavailable. Was this something that that you'd look back and go, we didn't give people enough notice or this was so urgent we had to get to it as quickly as we could? No, I gave. Um, so in the procedural bylaws, the chair has the right to call a meeting within within 48 hours which I exercise that right um, Mm -hmm. to call a special meeting. Um, And although not all the board members were there, all the board members were informed of what the meeting was about. Okay. Hey, uh, Jamal, thanks for clarifying some of that and uh, giving us an advanced look about what the, where the TTC is going this fall. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you. There's Jamal Myers uh, joining us.